Chapter Seventeen of Clogshot Chronicles by John Ackworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Zeal of Thine House, Four, Raising the Wind. The clogger sat in a high-backed armchair, very close to the parlour fire. He had a huge comforter round his neck, the ends of which passed up over his ears and met in a knot at the top of his head. One side of his face was swollen. Though the weather was cold, he was without a coat, for Beckside gentlemen seldom wore their coats indoors, but his shoulders were covered by a heavy shawl. He had on his knee a jug containing ale posset, a very popular local cure for colds, and near him on the oven top another jug containing comfritee. He held his head a little on one side in a pensive manner, and had a pathetic self-pitying expression on his face. He'd got wet through two or three times lately, whilst out begging for the chapel, and this was the result. He had now had several days of invalidism, which had tried his temper very severely, and at last had reduced him to pensive and sorrowful resignation. "'I've told thee many a time, as I shouldn't be a long liver,' he said, in melancholy whining tones to Aunt Judy, who was nursing him. "'And thou sees I'm right.' "'Or's Dee about the same age as my mother did?' "'Dee? Get out with thee, thou old mollycoddle. "'Your fellies is so fierce if out ails you.' "'Judy,' he replied, shaking his head with profound solemnity. "'Your jabe's done.' And then, after another pause and a sob, which he did not even try to conceal, "'Or's ne'er see if chapel up and out.' Judy was in difficulties. She did not in the least share the patient's fears, but she knew that to refuse to believe in them would only make things worse. So she tried to get up an argument with him on the comparative virtues of ale posset and comfritee, and roundly declared, in the hope of arousing a spark of the old combativeness, that the preference of menfolk for ale posset was a suspicious circumstance to her. But even this did not succeed and Jabe was commencing to give some directions as to the disposal of his worldly possessions, when Judy had a sudden inspiration, and broke in. "'Hast heard what Sue Johnty's been proposing?' "'No, wench,' replied the clogger, but with just the faintest gleam of curiosity in his eye. "'Oh, no interest in wildly things, now." "'Who says who can see a hundred pound in it, at any rate?' said Judy, stealing a sly look at her brother's face and knowing that if anything could rouse him, it would be the chance of hearing of means to raise money for the chapel renovation scheme. "'Well, who's a likely wench is Susie?' Jabe replied. "'What's her been saying?' "'Who wants us to have a bazaar?' And Judy gave a sort of anticipatory wince, and shot a glance of quick apprehension at the clogger as she dropped out the last word. "'What?' shouted Jabe, jumping to his feet and upsetting the jug of ale posset as he did so, and for the next five minutes poor Judy had poured on her a torrent of abuse and reproach. The attack would doubtless have lasted longer than it did, but for the fact that Jabe's excitement burst a huge gumboil, and effectually closed his mouth for the time, and the doctor, coming in a little later, found him faint and exhausted, but still breathing out threatenings. For the next three days Jabe sat in semi-state in his parlour, passing through the various stages of convalescence, and telling over and over again the story of Sue Jonty's wicked and worldly proposal. Although many disagreed with him, 
and some had even given a conditional adhesion to mrs johnty's scheme nobody dared to say so in the clogger's presence jabe had never seen a bazaar but he regarded them as the last sign of worldliness and pride in a church and declared again and again during those days of convalescence i'd sooner see the pums in the chapel for debt nor pay it off wi brass for vanity fair this episode seemed also to increase his animosity towards the opposite sex women and trouble come into the world together and they'n been together ever sin but all watch em at this but poor jabe was only human and turned pale with a sense of approaching discomfiture as on the first day after he resumed work he lifted his head and saw the schoolmistress now mrs dr wormsley nancy of the fold farm and the irresistible mrs johnty harrop approaching the shop it was a long tussle in the parlour that afternoon and when the ladies retired they had a subdued and resigned air about them which seemed to indicate defeat but it was only the meekness of a great sense of victory for that very night jabe by tortuous and difficult processes understood only by the initiated caused it to be known that he was sacrificing his principles for peace sake and that the bazaar would be held in a few days all beckside was working and begging for the sale it was intended to be held in the following february and as the time of opening drew near the whole neighbourhood became excited about it church people from brogdon offered to help and the families of the two brothers who owned the beckside mill took hearty interest in the enterprise jabe and his confederates became positively nervous about it a bazaar had never been held nearer than duxbury and our friends had many misgivings most of the arrangements were in the hands of the ladies and one or two of them were wilful and quite irresistible women who did not even consult the dignitaries of the clog shop and every few hours sam speck brought tidings of fresh arrangements of an utterly unheard-of character until when the sunday before the great event arrived jabe was almost ill with suppressed excitement the sale was to last two days and the local preacher who was appointed on the preceding sunday brought a note from the super containing hints for the management of the affair at the close of the note he remarked that as the schoolhouse where the bazaar was to be held was over the beck bridge and rather lonely it would be well to get someone to stay in the building all night as a protection against fire or thieves this suggestion was a perfect boon after having had to stand aside and act as mere camp followers in the affair the clog shop authorities suddenly found themselves in charge of an important department and proceeded to discuss the situation with undisguised relish as soon as the question was raised there were numerous volunteers and it seemed at one time as if there was going to be a difficulty in settling who should have the honour of defending the schoolhouse sam speck whose father had been a parish constable and had bequeathed an old truncheon to his son and lige the road-mender who often at the clog-shop fire told remarkable stories about his achievements as gamekeeper's substitute in days gone by being the most clamorous as the debate proceeded however it widened out somewhat and in a short time the bazaar was forgotten in the breathless interest with which the circle listened to stories of footpads burglars and highway robbers by this time sam and lige seemed to show some uneasiness from thieves the conversation seemed to pass quite naturally to ghosts 
and by the time that jonas tatlock had told once more his never-failing story of the sexton who fell asleep one night in brogdon church and was awakened by a ghost which touched his hair leaving a white tuft amidst a plentiful shock of brown every person present was most satisfactorily thrilled and the sudden falling together of the embers in the fire sent a shock through the whole company in the silence that followed every man seemed to be inwardly resolving to swallow his own preferences and to waive any claim he might have to the hitherto coveted honour and so when conversation on the immediate question was resumed sam and lige found that all competition for the perilous honour they claimed had ceased and they were likely to be left in unchallenged possession then sam became suddenly generous and intimated that he really didn't mind very much if anybody particularly wanted the honour but nobody did and some hints dropped by lige about the dangers to his asthmatic in being out late were ignored in fact the more generous sam and his companion showed themselves the more self-sacrificing became the rest of the company and sam at any rate went home that night anathematizing his own long tongue but real self-sacrifice brings its own reward and so the valiant volunteer guardsmen were comforted the next day by the discovery that they had achieved fame as heroic spirits all day on monday they were receiving offers of loans of firearms of almost every style and age whilst bludgeons and cudgels were tendered wholesale and mickey hollows from the gravel hole offered an ingenious man-trap with powerful springs of his own invention this popularity of course had its effect on the two daring spirits and when the policeman sauntered into the clog shop on monday night and volunteered to assist them his offer was slightingly almost scornfully declined the next day Poncake tuesday was the opening of the bazaar all passed off well in spite of the fuming and agitation of jabe and when the first day's proceedings were over and it was announced that ninety-three pounds seventeen shillings had been taken everybody went home tired but happy as the buyers and sellers dispersed much interest was excited by the arrival of sam and lige to mount guard over the building and its valuable contents sam carried a thick cudgel over his shoulder and a pistol sticking out of each pocket whilst lige had an old gun one of his own long-handled stone-breaking hammers and an old-fashioned powder flask whilst he led by a chain long ben's big yard dog tenter feeling that admiring and even envious eyes were upon them the watchman marched towards the stove in the middle of the schoolhouse and very self-consciously proceeded to arrange their weapons in order when the general public had gone jabe ben and a few of the others stayed behind with the watchers and smoked a social pipe while they recounted the successes of the day when they talked of going sam who seemed somehow to have laid in quite a stock of new or revised stories began to tell them faster than ever putting into the relation rather more than his usual animation then he invited them to taste a brew of hot coffee which he proceeded to make and so it was past midnight when the last lingerers departed and the valiant defenders of church property were left alone for a time they stood in the road listening to the retreating footsteps and voices of their friends and then to the banging of doors which followed but in a minute or two all was quiet and an eerie stillness seemed to be in the black darkness so the watchman went inside for the comfort and company of the dog then they smoked 
glancing uneasily up at the high windows every now and again and holding their breath to listen at the slightest sound after a while sam began to examine his weapons and showed unmistakable signs of nervousness while lige took frequent pulls at a large can of warm ale which was kept in condition by standing near the stove the dog stretched himself out on the floor to sleep presently lige began to nod which made sam quite angry and he tried to draw him into conversation but it was no use the road mender was overpowered and was sinking every minute or two into slumber in spite of his own and sam's efforts to keep him awake the stove was a closed one they had been recommended for safety's sake to use a lantern instead of a naked light and so the room was almost dark and the articles that hung about made all sorts of strange deep shadows and assumed all sorts of suggestive and terrifying shapes sam grew so apprehensive that he dared not look round it was the very longest night he had ever spent how cold it was getting and how awesomely quiet would morning never bang sam must have been dozing but this bang brought him instantly to his feet he snatched up the pistols held them straight over his head shut his eyes and fired one of the pistols kicked and hurt him and he jumped back and yelled the shots were followed by the furious barking of the dog and by lige falling from his seat and lying on his back where he remained shouting murder thieves fire then the dog frantic with excitement jumped at sam who sprang back and fell over the small table on which the lantern was standing and extinguished the only light they had help murder shouted sam fire fire shouted lige and then they both lay panting on the floor in the powder smoke until the dog ceased barking and all was still again presently they heard a scraping sound on the walls outside which set the dog barking again and then there was a bang at one of the high windows a minute later sam venturing to lift up his head saw a man with a lantern trying to open the window thieves help shouted sam again and began to grope on the floor for a weapon the dog the while going nearly frantic all at once the window flew open a puff of cold air entered the room and the thin squeaky voice of jethro the knocker-up was heard crying sam liger whativer's to do are you kilt in a few minutes jethro had lowered his lantern into the room on the end of his handkerchief and by its light sam rescued lige from the debris and opened the door when it appeared that jethro getting up early to prepare for his rounds had remembered the lonely watchers and had made them a can of hot coffee but that in the darkness he had stumbled against the door with the butt-end of his knocking-up stick and had made the sharp bang which had startled sam so terribly the next day nearly all the goods were disposed of the handsome total of two hundred and four pound was realised and the graver spirits of the clog shop were of opinion that it was worth while to have had the bazaar if only for its chastening effects on the irrepressible sam but sam and lige escaped more easily than they otherwise would have done because another matter attracted public attention the bazaar had made beckside popular and the struggles of the villagers with their chapel scheme evoked sympathy in quite unexpected quarters one day the younger of the two gentlemen who owned the mill sent for jabe to the office 
and proposed to him by the help of a party of musical friends from duxbury to give a grand concert in a temporarily empty warehouse belonging to the mill the proceeds were to go to the renovation fund as soon as the scheme was described to him jabe saw in it a grand opportunity for the beckside string band to display its talents but the master after long and skilful fencing managed to convince the clogger that however desirable this was scarcely practicable when jabe announced the arrangements to his friends he was almost unanimously reproached for never having proposed that their band should give concerts they might have had the schoolhouse for the asking but when it was clear that he had actually discussed the question of the band assisting at the forthcoming performance and had allowed himself to be beaten he was regarded as having seriously compromised himself the concert promised to be a very grand affair and to crown all the day but one before it was to take place the master brought news that the famous madame bona a great professional lady singer who happened to be singing at whipham a town a few miles the other side of duxbury had sent a special message to say that she had heard of the beckside concert and its object and would like to sing at it without fee this being noised abroad the fame of the lady created quite a rush for tickets and when the evening arrived the big warehouse swept out and decorated for the occasion was crammed the reserved seats were filled with the local gentry many of whom had never even seen beckside before and on the front row of the cheaper seats sat the members of the clog shop club the small but select band from duxbury came in for very severe criticism indeed from these authorities jethro was chief sat bolt upright with his eyes closed every now and then making expressive grimaces as the performers offended his delicate ear and when the overture was finished sam speck leaned backward to a duxbury man who was sitting behind and pointing at jonas tatlock whispered there's a mon theer as have fiddled their yeds off after three or four pieces had been got through a rustle in the front seats and a general buzz of excitement announced the advent of the great singer most of the clog shop cronies stood up to see her come in and when she did so each turned and looked at his neighbour with a surprised and shocked expression for the lady was in evening dress it was the first time most of them had seen a lady thus attired and it so irresistibly suggested the theatre and other wicked places that jabe and ben sat suddenly down and buried their faces hot with shame in their hands whilst the rest looked at each other with embarrassment but the lady began to sing and as her full rich tones rolled down the room even jabe lifted his head to listen carefully avoiding however looking at the singer in a moment or two he began to frown and finally turning to jethro he cried in a loud angry whisper what's who me moin about wish man cried jethro who was as perplexed as his friend but had his reputation to think of oh fancy yon's that new tonic sulphur as tha's yerd about but jabe only shook his head in weary disapproval and though the quality applauded the italian song and even the crowd clapped the chapel authorities received it in frigid silence one or two band selections having been played a well-known and somewhat old-fashioned violin solo was given which as it came within the range of their own knowledge received from the village critics a modified approval then the lady appeared again and sang an english love-song and though its sentiments made jabe's lip curl its music found a way to his heart 
and he led off the clapping for their bench. The others somewhat coldly joined in, and Sam Speck stood bolt upright and stared at the singer with all his eyes, although she was, according to Beckside standards, undressed. Towards the close of the concert, the lady sang once more and was rapturously encored. When she responded, it was noticed that she was without music and signalled to the accompanist that she would dispense with his assistance. What was she going to do? Every eye in the great throng was upon her. Even the bench of critics was compelled to look at her. And there she stood. Something seemed to be moving her, and she tried to commence but could not. Then she folded her hands behind her, schoolgirl fashion, threw back her beautiful head, and a moment later there came warbling through the hot air the old familiar strains of Beckside's favourite Sunday school hymn. Around the throne of God in heaven, thousands of children stand. The audience was spellbound, and as the singer sang on, a great flush of feeling passed over hundreds of faces in the cheaper seats, and all were listening entranced, when suddenly the thin shrill voice of Jethro pierced the air with a vibrant, long-drawn-out, Glory! The singer faltered. Tears suddenly swam into her eyes. She stopped, swept a long low curtsy, and hurriedly retired, whilst the back benches led by Jethro took up the broken refrain and sang it to the end. The reserved seats even had been touched by this unrehearsed item, and as the assembly broke up, the only topic of conversation was the great singer's last song and her unheard-of breakdown. The clogger and his friends filed off, duck-fashion, to the shop, each man feeling, as he wiped his eyes, that they had something worth talking about for once. The pipes had all been charged, and Jethro was just opening the conversation, when a carriage was heard to stop outside. The door opened, a rustle of silk and a waft of scent came floating into the shop, and the great Madame Bona swept towards the ingle-nook. "'Well, gentlemen,' "'How did you like my song?' she asked, still manifesting signs of emotion. "'God bless you!' shouted two or three at once. "'God bless you, for you taught it me!' replied the singer. Every man rose to his feet in amazement. "'Yes, old friends, you taught it me, and in my strange life now, that and other things you taught me keep me from going entirely wrong.' I've heard of your sacrifices for the dear old chapel, and I want you to know that there are others out in the great world who love it too, and will thank God for it forever. And slipping a heavy purse into Jabe's trembling hand, she made another sweeping curtsy, crying as she did so, God bless you, and God bless the chapel, and was gone. End of chapter 17